Listener Production. This is From Zero, conversations with business founders. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of LuxuryEscapes.com, financial journalist, author, and angel investor. With my best mate from school, we co-founded Luxury Escapes, and the business has grown to turn over almost a billion dollars annually. In this episode, you ask me the questions in what we call Ask Adam Anything. If you're a budding entrepreneur, established founder, or business professional, and want to ask us a question, please send a voice recording to info at fromzeropodcast.com, and we'd love to get you on the show. Now, on to our first question. Hey, Adam. Tom from Newcastle here. Mate, I'm just wondering, how do I go about asking my boss for a pay rise? Thank you, Tom from Newcastle. I presume that's Newcastle in New South Wales, not Newcastle in in UK. Is that right, Ed? Sounds like an Australian guy. Yeah, correct. So uh, Newcastle is an amazing, amazing city, town, town. I think it's now a city. It's uh, really rejuvenated itself. It's got incredible tourism. Uh, it used to be a, just that steel. Uh, Ed, do you remember? It was I think it was a BHP sort of steel mining town for a while, but uh, it was still producing town. But now it's absolutely just a destination town. There's a QT there now, which is an incredible hotel. So it's it's really transformed itself. It's a, it's a really great place to commute from and, and to live as well. So congratulations, Tom, for, for living in Newcastle. Uh, and the, it's a really good question and and one that, that I think a lot of people don't do right, which is how do I ask my boss for a pay rise? And I've actually only, I've only really ever been in the boss shoes when I was I used to work at a, at a law firm. I used to work at a supermarket and you never really asked for a pay rise there. You got paid what you got paid. And I worked at a law firm. And I wasn't quite at the law firm long enough and nor was I good enough to really ever ask for a pay rise. So I've never been in the position of asking for a pay rise, but I've certainly been the askee in many times. And there's, there's a, I've found there's a really good way to ask for a pay rise and there's a probably a not so good way to ask for a pay rise. I mean, the the good way to ask for a pay rise, and, and again, Scott Galloway talks about this really well, uh, the good way to ask for, for a pay rise is, A, don't ask too frequently. Uh, so generally, once a year is a pretty good cadence. And I think the best way, a really good way to do it is, is in a way, test your test your market worth in the free market. So not necessarily apply for lots of jobs, but but certainly test the water, see what similar people uh, are getting in similar roles with similar experience and similar capabilities. So one thing that that I think can be quite misleading is you look at the pay scales. A lot of the recruiters will will launch pay scales, and they'll say a third year uh, software Python software developer should get two hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm just making up a number. Problem is those numbers tend to be highly inflated because if you look at who's releasing them, it's it's released by recruiters, and recruiters get paid from from transactions. Every time somebody changes jobs, a recruiter gets paid. It's a bit of a tax on on employees and and on employers. So so recruiters have a vested interest in in making employees think they can get paid more elsewhere. So I'd take those uh, surveys, certainly recruiter surveys with a big grain of salt, but a good way to do it is just to test the market, see what other businesses, other similar businesses are paying uh, for this, for a similar role. Uh, and bear in mind, there is always a, a cost. There's a couple of costs of changing jobs as well. So when you're thinking about changing jobs, my, my, you know, my preference always is if we can stay in the same same business, and pretend, whether you move jobs or, or, or not, stay in the same business is always preferred. But there's always a risk. A, you can change jobs and you could hate your boss, you could hate the business. Business is always, the grass is always greener. So often we've had a lot of people leave our business and then come back when they realize that what they were sold by another business Forgetting the money side, we'll get to that in a second. But what they were sold by that business is, is often what's 
it's very hard to read the jar from inside the tin. So, so what, what you get told is often very different to the reality. So there's always a risk and things always look better from the outside, from, from when you're not in it. That's one big thing to take, in, take into account. But so but let's assume that, let's test the market. Let's say, say you're, you're, working, you're working as a, as a software engineer and you see that somewhere, someone in another similar business is getting paid $200,000 a year. I think what's what actually really makes a lot of sense is to simply have a really mature, rational conversation with probably your direct line manager and say, I love working here. Uh, I love working for you. I'm getting paid $100,000 a year. My friend at uh, Business X is getting paid $200,000 a year. My preference absolutely is to stay. This isn't a threat, but if we can get close to that $200,000 a year mark, which I can get elsewhere, that'd be great. I'd be really uh, loving to stay on, on that level. That's a really good conversation to have. It gives the gives the line manager and the line manager's line manager it's not so much a threat, but it's simply saying, well, my market value is this, uh, and I don't think it's fair that I'm being underpaid. And, and any good manager, any good boss will want to pay an employee market or team member market value. We certainly don't want to, and, and I think every employer can be guilty of this, is sometimes you just, especially with even with, with really good team members, you just don't necessarily mark to market someone's value until they not so much threatened to leave until they test the market. So what we always want to do is be making sure we're paying someone a really fair value. Uh, Cause you know, if you're underpaying somebody, they're much more likely to leave. That, that said, I know us as a business, we tend to prefer not to overpay. So there's some businesses that will overpay and pay too much. That generally isn't us because we try and make a work environment better in other ways that aren't purely financial. We want people loving to come to work. So uh, that's that's from an employer perspective. But an employee, what, what you don't want to do is A, ask repeatedly. So you don't want to go every three months and say, can I have a pay rise? That just gets a bit tedious and annoying. Uh, and what eventually happens is the employer goes, you know what? Fine, just leave. Because it's just, you don't want to have that conversation all the time. Once a year is about the cadence. Uh, and certainly if you haven't had a pay adjustment for sort of two or three, especially because of COVID, then absolutely uh, speak to you. First, find out what the market is. Because you don't want to go and ask for a $100,000 pay rise when the market actually is $100,000. Because then you probably just get a bad response. And, and also, it just won't look good. So I think you want to be reasonable, rational, and, and, and just have a mature conversation. So the, the big no-nos are don't repeatedly ask and don't simply ask for an amount that's just off the charts crazy. Even if someone is paying that, that amount of money, you just you also do need to value uh, the risk of moving because often when you're being offered a lot of money, there's a reason for it. It's because I can't fill the roles. People leave the business regularly. Uh, people, people have to pay over the odds. There's usually a reason for it. There's a bit of a quid pro quo. So I'd be very wary of companies that overpay and also don't let yourself be underpaid. There is a Goldilocks uh, position and always try and go for that and have just a mature conversation. So what do you think about the situation when um, maybe employees are having conversations with each other and uh, people in similar roles are saying, oh, this is how much I earn, this is how much I, like you earn and they're like, oh, you earn more than me or you earn less mm-hmm. than me. What do you think about those conversations and then using that as kind of going, hey, this person who's in, in the same role is earning more. Is, is that an okay thing to do when you're going into that type of conversation? Uh, it is kind of. I think, as a, and, and we expect everybody will talk about their salaries because ultimately it's not something you can stop. Uh, and whilst, and there's actually looking at potentially being laws to force companies to disclose how much people get paid. I think in Scandinavian countries it is disclosed. We try, and I think most businesses try and keep employees of a similar level on parity. Uh, so if you, if, Often, if, if you're being paid a lot less than someone who you think is a colleague, there could be a reason for it. So, so don't always assume that the employer is is has just made a mistake or is stupid or doesn't like you. There 
maybe they've valued it at, at more for a reason, that, or maybe they've just been a mistake. So I think the best way to do it is is look externally as well. So I think if you look externally at a similar business that's well regarded uh, that you could happily work for, that's that's probably a good way to do it. And I think you you have you don't, and I don't think having the having the conversation I'm quitting unless you give me X dollars is necessarily a good one because because then you could the bluff can be called. So the, the boss could say, you know what that's completely fine. Go work for company Y when you didn't really want to do it. So I think it's really careful on how you phrase the conversation and not having that conversation too often. I think if you someone's a really good team member and they put a really good case, especially if you say, oh, another really good way to do it is I want, I think uh, company X is paying double what I get here. I love working for the business. I really want to take on more responsibility. I love to do more stuff and that will justify you being able to pay me more. That's also a really good way to do it. Give a business case for why you should get paid more. And I know me as a as a manager, I love hearing that. I love hearing someone who's really entrepreneurial and, and engaged in the business and wants to contribute to the business. And it's only fair that someone who's who's doing that should get paid more. So I think there's a, just a way to do it. And saying Johnny's getting paid more than me. I insist I get that. Is a bit the same as sort of throwing down the goal. It probably doesn't go down that well. I think if you uh, respect the person you work with and, and they should respect you is the best way to have a, a mature conversation about it. And ultimately, if you're not being paid enough, you will eventually leave the business because no one should have to work for less than their market value. Uh, and ultimately, good businesses make sure that people are getting paid market value and paid fairly and paid on what they're doing. You want a fair split of capital and labor. You don't want shareholders getting paid millions and millions of dollars in dividends and and employees not getting a pay rise. By the same token, you can't have a loss making. We've seen a lot of loss making businesses, especially in the startup sort of tech scale up space. Ultimately, you don't want to have a delivery situation where everybody gets fired and loses their job because people may be getting paid too much. So, so you want a fair balance between labor and capital. You don't want capital getting too much. You don't want labor getting too much. You want a fair and equitable trade. And if someone's contributing to the business, they should get paid a lot. And if someone's not, that's probably the reason they're not. So ultimately it's about being mature and certainly a great question, Tom, and one you should be asking. There really is a right and a wrong way to do this. Hey, Adam. Uh, it's Michael from Melbourne. I love the show. Um, when you ask for performance-based shares, what's the best go? And also what are like the positives and negatives for doing that? Thank you, Michael from Melbourne. Just, just, and we have a lot of Melbourne listeners. It must be uh, we're the Neil Mitchell of Melbourne podcast, I reckon. <laughs> there's it's some, uh, there's something in the water. I reckon. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. Thank, thank you for your question, Michael, uh, and and a really good one. And it's actually quite a complex question. Performance shares, or and there's a few different types of performance shares you can get. But before we talk about that, just the fact that you're in a position where you can get before like equity from an employer means you're obviously a really talented person. Uh, a lot of employers don't give equity, and, and there's two reasons. One people just don't know how to do it. So even a lot of sophisticated businesses or sophisticated sort of CEOs uh, don't know how to do it. It actually is quite costly to set up a performance plan. Uh, it probably costs us $500,000 over a number of years and you've got to use people like Price Waterhouse and, and, and lots of consultants and lawyers to get the plan set up. So it's, 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 it's complicated and it's costly. So that's why a lot of businesses don't have it. Uh, and also most staff don't get performance shares. And there's a couple of reasons. One is apart from that first point, one is it's generally only given to people who you really want to stay in the business because it is quite costly uh, for, for a business perspective. So, uh, and that's not just the actual cost of the incentive, it's the cost of sort of getting it set up and the ongoing costs. So how we look at performance shares, and we have a, a, a pretty decent performance plan, we've had it for a few years, is we we consider someone who really, really don't want to leave the business will give equity to. Uh, and in a sense, there's, there's three 
there's only three types of equity plans that you can get as an employer, as employee. The first type, and probably probably one that has become the most common type, is called performance rights. That's basically a way of giving someone a share for at no cost. So how it works is, let's say you've got a, a salary of $100,000. I'm going to give you $20,000 a year in performance rights. That's like $20,000 a year in shares. And those performance rights could have hurdles attached. It could say, you need to achieve ABC or the business needs to achieve DEF. So business has to achieve a profitability of X or a return of Y or, or a market share of J. So there can be a bunch of different hurdles. In our case, we generally just have what's called a 10-year-based hurdle. So we just want people to stick around and we basically say, if someone's deserving of getting performance rights, we'll give the, we'll give them to you over a period of four years, vesting sort of each year. And all you've got to do is stick around. If you leave, you, you lose them, obviously. Uh, and be that if someone chooses to leave or, or sort of gets terminated, uh, there can be good leave or bad leave provisions. Generally, what happens is when somebody leaves, we, we pay somebody out in some way. Can be nothing, can be something. Kind of depends how long they've stayed for. Uh, but performance rights are very common, partly because they're just very easy to understand and they're quite tax effective. So if I give someone $10,000 a year in performance rights over four years, you don't pay tax on those performance rights until you effectively sell the shares eventually. That could be seven or eight years down the track and hopefully the shares have increased in price. So it's a really tax effective way compared to if I gave you $10,000 a year in salary and then you invested it in the stock market, for example, that $10,000 really becomes six or 7000 because you're paying tax on it. So you're investing off a lower base and compounding off a lower base. So the beauty of, of any kind of share equity is you compound you compound the value. And that's how that's how people like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and, and a lot of these characters who who actually were employees as well as founders were able to get so much money in sort of equity. Performance rights is one. Another type is uh, what's called options. Options are are good in a way because they're really leveraged. So how options work is an employer says, I'll give you uh, a thousand options <coughs> in this business. And the option options have what's called a strike price. So let's say your share price is a dollar. I might say your strike price of these options is $2. So for the options to be worth anything, the shares have to be above $2 per share. So that's a way of aligning the in team member and shareholders. So team members are only getting valuable options if the share price increases. The good thing about that from an employee is if you do hit that strike price, these options become really valuable because they're highly leveraged. The bad thing is if the share price doesn't go that much, they're worth nothing. So performance rights are much more valuable if the share price doesn't go up, but options are much more valuable if the share price goes up a lot. A third kind is what's called share um, loan back share plans. And that's a way where a company gives an employee a loan. So I might say, here's a million dollars and you can buy a million dollars of shares. If the share price goes up, you obviously get the, the uptick there. If the share price goes down, usually we'll have what's called non-recourse loan. So generally you won't have to sell your house to pay back the loan. So you sort of lose the loan. The company loses the money as well, but you're sort of, and you don't get any shares, but you haven't lost anything. So the good thing about share back plans is you get, you only pay capital gains on the increase. So versus performance rights and a part of options, you pay income tax, which can be a higher rate. If you if you've got share back plans, you only pay the capital gains tax level, but they're a bit like performance rights and you don't have that great leverage option has options have. So in a sense, there, there are three main types of performance rights you can get. And I guess the question is, should you take them? So there's pros and cons to taking uh, equity. I think on the on the whole, I think taking equity is, is a great idea. The reason being is you're able to multiply your wealth significantly more than if you get a salary and then invest that salary, partly because it's just much more tax effective because you don't pay tax till later on. Uh, but also 
if you're, especially if you're working in a business and you've got lots of confidence in that business, a really fast growing business, you can benefit from the hard work you and your, and your fellow team members do in the business. So it's very much a, a bet on yourself and the team. Uh, the downside to, there's a couple of downsides to, to, to equity. The biggest downside is, is the risk. So when you think about it, the biggest form of risk is, is your, eventually your, your job because your, your entire livelihood depends on that. So if you've gone, gone and got a, a home loan, for example, that home, line's, home loan is based on you earning an income from, from an employer. And if you lose that income, that you've got real problems paying back that loan. So you're, you're ready at significant risk obviously being employed by one person, but you've got no choice. You can only be employed by one person, generally only be employed by one person. But if you then layer on equity on top of that, so you've got two levels of risk. You've got your income, but you've also got capital invested. So uh, what what often smart people do is as soon as they can sell equity in a business, they start selling some, not all, but some. So you're sort of laying that risk and investing in other stuff because diversifying is actually really smart. So the, the benefit of diversifying is if one thing fails so if you worked at ftx for example the the bitcoin ponzi scheme and you had your a great you had a hundred million dollars of equity in ftx the next day you're worth zero that's a significant lack of diversification but if you had diversified out of ftx into a an index fund and you've sold those ftx which you couldn't have because it's too new a business but if you had sold that f those ftx equity you'd be able to at least protect yourself by owning other assets so the problem with equity is you're very concentrated your risk in essentially one business the upside is by being concentrated there's a lot of upside so you want to try and diversify that risk as, as quickly as you can if you look at if you look at uh the, the atlassian guys so, so scott and mike they sell shares in atlassian every single day so they've got tens of billions of dollars of Atlassian equity, but they are constantly selling shares because they're smart enough to know that it's really risky to have all your assets, or most of your assets in the, in, the, in the one company. So they sell shares every day, they buy property, they buy lots of other startups and all this kind of stuff. That's a really smart way to go about it. So diversification is great. Equity is great, but just be wary that you want to try and diversify that risk as quickly as you can. But the other big good thing about equity, it's less financial, but it's more uh, just more motivational, is it's great owning a part of the business you work in. You really feel like an owner. You know that if you work really hard, you're getting, even if it's a small piece of that, you're you're sharing in the benefit. And I, I can tell you from, as, from an employer perspective, there's nothing that's actually more satisfying than being able to make your team members and, and friends really successful and really financially uh, successful. So we, I know when we have secondary rounds and we raise capital, we give our, our vested uh employees who have vested equity option to sell in and where people will be able to buy houses and, and really change their life. So eventually if we are lucky enough to get a, a big exit, we'll hopefully be able to share that exit with hundreds of employees or hopefully hundreds of employees who will potentially make millions of dollars themselves, which is almost as satisfying as, as being successful yourself. So from an employer's perspective, being able to share, uh, but not only not only just align your team members with you, be able to share the upside with people who work so hard together with you is actually really special. So I think equity in general is a really good thing. I think more businesses should do it and should should invest in creating schemes to do it. I think more team members should do it, but just be, be wary that there are risks attached. Uh, it's not a, a sort of one-way street where everything's good. There's significantly risky. You want to be really confident in the business. You want to be confident in your boss that you're not going to, they're not going to treat you really badly and take away your equity. So you've got to be, speak to other people who have worked in the business and have potentially left the business and ask them how were they treated. I know we, we always uh, try and be as generous as we can with people who leave the business uh, because we know that uh, how people depart both from an employer and employee perspective is important. So there's lots of things to ask. In general, I'd almost say always try and get equity, but be wary there are definitely risks attached uh, and go in with your eyes wide open.
That's it for this edition of Ask Adam Anything. Thanks so much for your questions. If you'd like to submit a question, please send a voice recording to info at fromzeropodcast.com. If you're a founder, young professional, or just someone interested in the world of business, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Our producer is Ed Gooden. Our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. And this has been From Zero Podcast with me, Adam Schwab. Adam Schwab.